Welcome to the New Books and Political Science podcast. My name is Heath Brown, and today I'll be talking to the author of Going Public, A Guide for Social Scientists. The book was published this year by the University of Chicago Press. The authors are Arlene Stein and Jesse Daniels. I have the pleasure to have Jesse Daniels on the phone. Jesse, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, Heath. Yeah, it's such a pleasure to have you on, to have read the uh, the book that is so uh, of our scholarly moment uh, in terms of its subject matter. Uh, before we get to it, would you first introduce yourself and then maybe also briefly your co-author who's not with us today? Sure, happy to. I'm uh, Jesse Daniels. I'm a professor of sociology at Hunter College and at the Graduate Center of uh, CUNY. And I'm uh, happy to be co-authoring this book with Arlene Stein, who's a professor of sociology across the Hudson River at Rutgers University. Now, the book is about uh, a subject similar to having a podcast about new books, uh, which is uh, engaging a somewhat wider audience than, than we as academics and social scientists typically do. Um, before we get to how that happens, uh, you characterize in the book an old model of scholarship, uh, the scholar as expert. Uh, I wonder if you'd uh, start us off by describing a little bit about how that old model worked. Yeah, the old model of the scholar's expert was really just academics doing their job in the usual way, publishing in peer-reviewed journal articles, uh, peer-reviewed journals with uh, very few uh, readers typically, uh, sometimes books, and then having uh, someone outside of academia stumble upon their work and declare them uh, an expert worthy of speaking to the public. So that was sort of... Uh, certainly the model that I was trained with in graduate school, and, and I believe Arlene was as well. And the, that sort of depended on us never rethinking what we do as academics in any sort of profound way. We just were hoping to sort of be discovered, if you will, by the outside world. And, and this, this new approach, an approach that uh, you certainly have taken up and, and others have, but it's not universal. Uh, involves some some change of thinking about how we do what we do. Um, you talk early in the book about the the idea of code switching, and and using that mm-hmm. as as a way to think about uh, engaging a wider public audience. Would you talk about that that idea of code switching and how it applies here to the the, the scholar engaged with the world? Sure. Um, you know the way that we're we're typically trained and that that sort of expert model is that we're talking to other specialists and that's our that's the lingua franca of of academia talking to specialists who, who share our training who share our vocabulary who um who are helped by our jargon because it shortcuts longer conversations uh when we say things like post structuralist for example that shortcuts body of literature and other people who've had the same training know what we're talking about. But when we switch audiences or we or we seek to speak to somebody who's not had the same kind of training, and it actually could be in other disciplines within academia, but what we're really talking about are people outside of academia. We're, we're, we have to switch the language that we use. Um, there's a practice from uh, African-American communities talking about code switching all the time, sort of talking to white dominant audiences and in-community conversations among other African-Americans. And this is sort of of using that that term to talk about the way that academics who wish to reach a broader audience switch their language and switch their uh, conversation and switch their um, use of jargon to reach a, 
a broader academic audience. So, for example, um, when I'm writing on the Racism Review blog, I'm referencing, um, which is a blog that Joe Fagan and I started in 2007 to sort of bring academic research to a wider public audience. When I'm writing there, I'm definitely referencing scholarly research, but I'm also doing it in a a kind of informal, um, colloquial type of uh, speech, and and I'm not using as much jargon as if I were giving a professional presentation or writing a professional paper for other, only for other academics. We've heard from people that uh, use the blog that there are elementary school teachers, high school teachers, and students in their classes who are reading it. So it's uh, thinking about a much wider audience who doesn't have the same kind of training. Um, and what's the what's the switch that you need to make to be able to reach that different kind of audience? Now, often when people uh, talk about the subject, they're talking about using um, social media, for example. But you also talk in the book about some ways in which our scholarship is translated in, in books, and, and you talk about three genres of general audience books, um, uh, writing not a university press or a traditional academic book, but a different kind of book. I, I wonder if you could talk about those three different um, kinds of books and, and um, w- what makes them available to us as scholars. Right. There are different kinds of um, different ways of approaching scholarship and there are different um, ways of writing books. So we, the way that we typically have been uh, taught to write books um, as academics is really, again, not that different from the, the journal uh, model where we're talking to um, other academics and, and peer reviewers, people who share our same uh, background. But but there are lots of different ways to, to go about writing books for general audiences. And one of the things that we talked about doing um, we talk about in the book is doing uh, books for general audiences, such as um, idea books. These can be books that are just about um, uh, a particular concept. You know, um, Eric Klinenberg has this wonderful book, um, Going Solo, which is an example of an idea book. Um, and so those are um, those are ideas that synthesize a lot of different research that's out there. Um, and I'm actually going to have to look up these other ones. Yeah, but I think that idea of synthesis is is so um, important for this this idea because it's synthesizing in, in a way that might not might not be familiar to us as as academics um, because the audience changes um, and and let me just sort of move on just a little bit um, because because the idea of audience uh, seems to me to matter a lot here and it matters a lot to the book that that you guys have written and. You highlight Alondra Nelson's research and how she went about building her audience. I thought that that section was really informative. I wonder if you could talk about Alondra Nelson um, or how she approached this, because it was it's it's something that was seemed to matter a lot to her research, but then also to the audience for her research. Would you would you talk about that part of the book a little? Sure. Bit? Yeah, we you know one of the things that we did in this book is we actually interviewed academics about their experiences uh, with going public. And so, and, and one of my favorite interviews is with Alondra Nelson, who's a professor of sociology at Columbia University and also is dean of social sciences at Columbia, and in the fall will become the president of the Social Science Research Council. Um, and Alondra has written two really marvelous books, one called um, 
uh, Body and Soul about the Black Panther movement, and the second one about uh, is called Social Life of DNA about genetics and race. And one of the wonderful things that she revealed in that, uh, because I had watched her um, social media presence around the first book and was really impressed, and and um, because she really was involved with the community um, that cared the most about the Black Panther uh, book project that she was doing. And that was former Black Panthers. So she spent a long time in that community talking with people, um, going to um, really small uh, community meeting, community organizing meetings and talking to people who had been former Panthers and had stories to tell. And she did that as a years long process. Uh, partly as part of the research, but also as, um, you know, someone engaged in the, in the issues that the, the Panthers cared about. And then when it came time for the book to come out, she sort of seamlessly moved uh, her social media presence, both on Twitter and on Facebook, to um, promote the book. Now, she, she segmented that a little bit by creating a, a separate page on Facebook for her, for the book. Um, but on Twitter, she talked about the um about the book and about it coming out and where she was going to be speaking. And I watched really small, um, like community organizations and small bookstores, you know, request her to come speak at their, at their venue and she would do it. Um, so it was a very kind of grassroots bottom up, um, sort of way that she organically, organically built this audience for the work that was to come. And one of the things that we highlight about that process that Al- Alondra illustrates so beautifully is you don't want to be one of these academics who, you know, works for years on a book and then suddenly get on social media just to talk about your book. Like nobody wants to hear from you just about your book. It's like, it's like being a bore at a cocktail party where you just walk up to a group of people and hi, I'm Jesse. Want to hear about my book? Mm-hmm. It's like, really don't. Um, so that was, that was sort of wonderful in the way that Alondra did that. And then she had this other book, which is, you know, also, of course, really well written, thoroughly researched, but she knew instinctively that there was a, a really different audience for this book, that people who were, who really cared about the Black Panthers were not necessarily going to care so much about DNA and genetics and and the sort of intricacies of genomic medicine and and the implications of that for race. And so she created different social media accounts for that book and went about a, a really different sort of process of thinking about who the audience was for that book. And she had a different kind of publisher for that book. For the first one, for the Panther book, it was a university press that she was very pleased with, but they didn't do a lot of publicity. For the second one, it was a trade press, and so they did a lot of the um, thinking through who the audience might be and reaching out to potential venues for her. So it was just a really interesting example, I thought, of, of different projects and the kinds of different audiences, thinking about audiences differently for those two different projects. Yeah, and the, just the chance to talk about your work that you've spent so much time um, with anyone, let alone somebody whose life it affects, is, is, is so meaningful, um, which is to suggest that there's some real positive sides to this. There are also the negative sides, and in, yeah. in the, towards the end of the book, uh, you write about that. Um, and these negative sides of this come in different forms, depending on the type of engagement we're talking about. But um, uh, let's sort of maybe end our conversation talking a little bit about that, which is sure. which is um, both kind of the form that that takes and the form it takes for different people, 
um, and also, uh, you know, how to respond to it, maybe how you've responded to it and, and what yeah. you recommend. Yeah, so we're living in interesting times, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and and part of the uh, sort of political landscape in which we live is that, you know, the big picture is that higher education is um, – both underfunded and under attack. And, and part of that scheme of attacking higher ed is sort of uh, pulling out individual academics for uh, politically unpopular views and attacking them. So that's sort of the big picture. And within that, we have this um, emerging social media landscape that, frankly, universities uh, and colleges don't exactly know what to do with. And so it creates this kind of in-between space where academics have this um, sort of space to um, uh, say things on social media and colleges and universities are not exactly uh, quickly coming to their defense uh, around things that they might say on social media. And we have sort of this growing right-wing presence that's ardently um, on the lookout for uh, left-leaning academics that they might um uh, go after uh, via social media. So so that's kind of the big picture. And what that means is that individual academics can can suddenly and quite sort of terrifyingly be caught up in a big, uh, you know, for lack of a better word, a big scandal around uh, social media. And that can be frightening for people who have never um, considered themselves public intellectuals or public scholars or, or public figures in any way. Um, and part of the strategy of right-wing people who are attacking academics is to call for their jobs, right, to say so-and-so said this thing on social media that we don't agree with and they should be fired. Um, and that, too, is just um, um, stomach-turning, really, I think, in the way that it um, instills a kind of fear and queasiness in, in academics. And there's, there aren't good responses yet that I, I've seen from colleges and universities. The, the good responses that I have seen have been from uh, faculty governance bodies, whether, whether those are um, uh, unions, like we're fortunate to have here at CUNY, or um, things like faculty senates or any kind of faculty body who sort of is coming at it from a perspective of faculty have the right to free speech and that sort of thing. The really bad uh, reactions I've seen have been ones like happened at a, it was the University of Kansas who, um, after a professor said something, um, you know, incendiary after the shooting at Newtown, Connecticut at the elementary school, um, against the NRA, people who were NRA advocates called for his firing. He was a full and tenured professor. He was suspended for a year, but got his job back. But in the wake of that, the University of Kansas, um, drew up really um, draconian and drastic measures about faculty not speaking at all on social media unless they were doing so in a way that uh, promoted the image of the University of Kansas in the way that, you know, the Board of Regents wanted them to promote it, you know. So so unfortunately, colleges and universities' um, responses have been mostly concerned about branding um, and not about free speech or academic freedom. Yeah, the, the book is, is just so interesting, and uh, the title, again, is Going Public, A Guide for Social Scientists, published by University of Chicago Press. Uh, Jesse, along with Arlene Stein, are the uh, books of this, and the illustrations, the great illustrations in the book, are by Corey Fields. Uh, Jesse, thank you very much for your time today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.